Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, Thank you for those of you that are ordering my book, that are sharing, that you've received the book on social media, that are leaving reviews on Amazon. I really appreciate your support. Um, And the book is doing well. It's mostly a credit to all of you that are part of the book. Um, There's so many stories of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and parents and others. So I appreciate your support of the book and um, encourage that support to continue in any way you feel impressed. Um, Our guest on today's podcast, Shifting Gears, is my friend, Lindsay. And I'm going to have you pronounce your last name, Lindsay. Tell our listeners how to say your name. Uh, My name is Lindsay Andrioski. I think it's Lithuanian. (laughs) That is a cool name. Andrioski. Is that that close? Andrioski? Yeah, that's that's it. Um, I'm a, this is an over the phone podcast, listeners. I'm in my home in Salt Lake City, and Lindsay is a BYU uh, a student at BYU Idaho. Um, that's located in Rexburg, Idaho, as many as most of you know. Lindsay has just turned twenty nine. She is in her second semester at BYU Idaho. She's a vocal performance major. She grew up in Arizona, in Chino Valley, Arizona. She is active LDS. Um, She would like to marry a man in the temple. She identifies as LGBTQ, um, asexual, um, aromantic. And we're going to talk more about that. Um, Lindsay and I offered a prayer that um, she would be able to share some thoughts that are helpful for you, our listeners. Lindsay is also autistic. She was diagnosed um, at about age 16. She has a service dog that's part of her ability to be independent and go to college. And she's really living her dream to be away from home, attending college in a different state. It's really remarkable. And um, I just sense that Lindsay is one of Heavenly Father's wonderful daughters who is full of goodness, but walking kind of a complicated road at times. Um, anything, is that okay for an introduction, Lindsay, or is there anything that needs to be corrected? Nope, I think that sounds pretty good. So let's, Pretty much me. <laughs> that's pretty much you, and Lindsay became aware of the, um, sort of reached out to me and wanted to potentially do a podcast. Her friend Miles um, was on the podcast, um, Transgender Latter-day Saint, and shared his story, and uh, we thought it would be, and tell our listeners, some people have never heard of asexual, aromantic. Tell our listeners what that is. Um, It can mean, of course, it's a spectrum like every other kind of sexuality and romantic attraction. But the basic of asexual is that I do not experience any sexual attraction to any gender, male or female or anything else. Um, And I don't, I also don't expect, um, experience romantic attraction to any gender. I do experience attraction, but it's just not in the typical way that most people do. Um, So I experience platonic attraction and aesthetic attraction. So I can see that someone is beautiful or handsome or whatever, but I just don't necessarily have that physical or romantic attraction that most people do. That's You're very articulate. I've done a good job explaining that. Help me better understand. How did you learn this about yourself? Um, I first kind of realized that I was at, I think I was about 17 or 18. I was at EFY, 
which is especially for youth. Now they call it um, uh, something else. I don't remember what it's called now, but it used to be called especially for youth. And it's just a youth conference for LDS youth to go to and just kind of have like a gospel type experience weekend. And I was sitting in a class. We were talking about the law of chastity, which is, um, I don't know. Should I explain the law of chastity? I don't know. But um, My guess is most listeners know, so I think you're good. Okay. So we were talking about the law of chastity. And I specifically remember the teacher. I'm sitting in a room full of teenagers. I'm a teenager. And the teacher started talking about sexual attraction. And how everyone has experienced those butterflies in your tummy and those feelings of attraction for someone. And I started looking around the room and I saw like blushing faces and like giggling and people fidgety because that's the way teenagers get when you talk about sex, you know. And I just thought like I've never felt those feelings. And so clearly everyone doesn't have them because I don't. And I started thinking, well, maybe I'm gay because I've never been attracted to a guy. And so I started, I literally looked around the room at the girls in the room and I was like, I don't think any of them look sexy. So maybe I'm just like, I don't even know. And that was when I was like 18, 17 or 18. And it wasn't until like, I was probably about 22 or 23 when I was finally dating a guy and I, again, didn't have a word for it, but I just knew that I didn't want to have any kind of sexual relationship in a marriage. And I was probably about 23 when I found the word asexual. And I just kind of like it clicked for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. And there's other people like me. And so that was kind of an interesting experience to find that word. And once I found asexual and found out that it was kind of a thing, I kind of connected to that really quickly. And that one was pretty easy for me to accept because it just made so much sense for me. Uh, that's really helpful. Did tell her, share with our listeners, did you share that with anybody? Um, so I, I believe I shared it with my cousin because the reason I had started thinking about it was because she had come out to me as pan sexual, which is attracted to any and all genders or more than two genders. Um, that can be a spectrum too, but she came out to me as pansexual. And so I started thinking about my own sexuality and started like doing more research and stuff on it. Um, I'm sorry, I forget what the question was. <laughs> just kind of, you're doing good, Lindsay, by the way. Just, you know, how did, did you share that with anybody and was it helpful to share it with anybody? Oh, yeah. So I, I kind of shared with my cousin, I think, because she was kind of the reason that I had start, started exploring it. And then I kind of shared a little bit with my older sister, I think, because she um, she's always had like in high school, she had a bunch of friends that were gay and she's just always been kind of like, you know, whatever about that kind of stuff. And so I kind of shared that with her and she was kind of the first one, I think, that I shared it with. Um, I... I didn't share it with my parents until quite a ways later because I didn't really know how to explain it yet. Um, but I have now told my parents, but it's a little bit confusing for everybody because it's really hard for people to understand the lack of sexual attraction. If you like, I think they say it's like 1% of the population is asexual. And if you like, I can understand because I can't understand what sexual attraction is like. So I can understand how people don't understand what it's like to not have it. So that's pretty cool. That's I remember 
I love what you just said. I remember trying to teach people on my mission about what it felt like to feel the Spirit. And we used to think internally that's like trying to help someone that's never tasted salt to understand what salt tastes like. And it's pretty hard in our vocabulary to describe what salt tastes like to someone who's never tasted or doesn't have the ability to taste. And so, yeah, yeah, we certainly go through a society where everybody has sexual attraction. It's just part of our society. But to be a minority like you are and never feel that, um, that's pretty thoughtful and it builds more empathy for you just to understand, you know, that this is part of your journey. Tell our listeners, some listeners might say, well, how can you possibly marry somebody and you have a hope to have a temple marriage for a man? Um, I would never, I would never say that, by the way, I would honor your hope and believe that um, you don't have to marry every man. You just have to marry one man, and it's made, and it will be the perfect man for you. That you'll just come together in a beautiful marriage, and there'll be some uniquenesses about both of you. But I would, um, if I were your friend, I'd give you full hope that your hopes to marry a man in the temple will happen, and it'll be a real wonderful marriage. But share with us why you want to have that hope. Why that hope is part of you. Um, I've always had a pretty strong testimony of the gospel and I've always known that I wanted to get married in the temple ever since I was a little kid. And I like, although I don't experience sexual or romantic attraction, I can see the beauty in it and I can see that it is of heavenly father. And I see the joy in the faces of people that have just come out of the temple being married. I have been to one of my friends, uh, ceilings in the temple. It's just a really beautiful thing. And I know that um, even though I don't experience romantic attraction, uh, at least right away, I think that I can develop romantic attraction because I think I have a couple times in the past. Um, and I just, I feel like I, I still desire that connection with a person and to have that, that love for somebody. I basically, you know, everybody kind of has this goal to marry their best friend. But for me, it kind of would just be my best friend because that's kind of the most attraction that I feel usually is just like really, really strong friendship. And so, I mean, it'd just be really cool to just, you know, have a best friend that I can depend on for everything. And it's kind of the reason everybody wants to get married. But um, I have in the past couple of years, I'm 29, which I just turned 29, but that's kind of old in the church stance, you know, to not have been married yet. And I've kind of in the last couple of years come to accept that it might not happen for me in this life. Um, my patriarchal blessing does say that I will marry in the temple, but I know that those things can also depend on different life circumstances and those things can happen in the next life as well. So I kind of have come to accept that it might not happen for me, but yeah, I'm still kind of got that hope for it now as well. But I'm going to close my bedroom window. I've got somebody working outside. That's fine. But, yeah. Tell us about the label queer. Um, that just, and even gender queer. Introduce that vocabulary term to our listeners and how, if it applies to you. Um, I, I really like the word queer because I, I know there's like a lot of negative connotation for a lot of people with it. But for me, it's kind of an umbrella term that just kind of covers everything because 
explaining asexuality can be really confusing and people can ask rude questions and confusing questions and it's kind of hard to explain. So if I just kind of say, oh, I'm queer, then it's just kind of a little bit more of an umbrella term. Um, I also do identify as genderqueer and that's one that feels kind of confusing for me. And so I kind of have a hard time explaining that one. But um, I, yeah, so queer is just basically kind of an umbrella term that can cover LGBTQ plus whatever, or it, you know, some people that are LGBT identify with it and some don't, but I do identify with it just because it's a nice umbrella term that just makes it easier than trying to explain all the little idiosyncrasies that I have that are really unique and interesting. So That's great. Uh, talk about um, some people look at this part of them and they're embarrassed about it or they feel shame or they feel like they've done something to cause this or can do something to make this go away. Share with our listeners how you feel about your, about all of this. Um, at first it, well, like the asexuality part has always kind of, like I said, made sense to me and just kind of felt good um, for myself. But then as far as it goes in the church, that part has been really hard, you know, because we always talk about in law of chastity lessons or about lessons about the family and, you know, that you're supposed to be married in the temple and you're supposed to have joy in your children. And I personally don't feel that I can have my own children. I'd like to adopt, but um, there's kind of the stigma in the church that if you don't have your own children, if you don't marry in the temple, then you're kind of lesser. And I know that that's not true, but that's just kind of something that's always on my mind, especially when you have lessons like that. And then um, the gender genderqueer aspect is something that I'm still kind of, again, trying to accept for myself. Um, I identify as like mostly female, but partially not. So I kind of present androgynously. I wear a short haircut. Um, I wear kind of boyish clothing. I don't really like to wear dresses and skirts. I never really have. I just wear them for church. I don't wear makeup. Um, and that's just kind of how I feel more comfortable in my own skin. Um, when I'm in the temple, I feel that connection to my female identity. But when I'm not in the temple, it's just kind of, I'm just a person, you know, and I just want to be seen as a person. But it it is really hard growing up in the church and having these feelings because there's that disconnection of like, well, I believe in the family proclamation and I don't fit that mold. And so where do I fit? So there's been that kind of disconnect. And that's honest. What are, what if I were your singles word bishop or your friend or, or a leader, what could I say that would be helpful for you? Is it just sort of acknowledging how difficult your road is or they don't fit in or anything just help our listeners. Anything comes to mind for that we can do to meet your needs and to and to empathize with you. I think acknowledgement is really important. Just to kind of be kind of put yourself in that space of okay, maybe I don't understand this very well, but I can accept that it's something that happens and that it's it's an actual thing. You know, it's not something that's made up. 
um, there are like brain chemicals and like genetics and like all these crazy things that go into it. And um, just kind of understanding that it's a real experience that a lot of people have, even in the church, and just being open to that and just not having an initial bias of um, just turning away automatically, but kind of just listening and understanding, I think is really helpful. I like that answer. And to me, whenever we teach about, you know, our doctrine, I think we can recognize that uh, some people in our faith just have a harder road. And we just can, I think we can do both, just like you're suggesting. And if you're feeling you're not going to have children in this life, then recognize that that's when we talk about families and children, and that's something so we need to recognize that there's lots of people that the proclamation doesn't fit for them because they're not able to be married um, between a man and a woman and have children. And a lot of people do, but, all, but we should recognize that. Because um, then I think it's hard for you to feel like you belong. If You know, fitting in is sort of about assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be, but belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And that's from Brene Brown. And I think we can do a better job of that in our congregations. How do you, how are you doing in your congregation? Are you out at all? I guess, I don't know if you're meeting with COVID, any, any experiences at BYU Idaho you want to share with our listeners? Um, so something really interesting happened when I came up here in January. Um, January, which was winter semester, was my first semester up here. And there is this thing called the North Star. I don't know if you've ever talked about that on yeah, your podcast. Bit, but, a little um, bit. Yeah, so it's, it's not affiliated technically with the church at all, but it's just basically a bunch of LGBT people that have testimonies and want to remain in the church, but also don't want to suppress this other part of them, this LGBT part of their personality or their life. And they have a conference every year. And I ended up going to the conference because I've always wanted to go. I've been on the North Star Facebook page for a while, but I was never able to go to the conference because I live in Arizona and Salt Lake is a long way from where I'm at in Arizona, but it's a lot closer to Rexburg. So I was able to go to the conference and um, I actually got to be on a panel wow. at the conference. And that was like, it was my first conference and I was on a panel with a few other transgender members and that was a really cool experience. And then I actually saw at the conference, one of the uh, brothers that works in the, um, oh gosh, the department at BYU-Idaho that, that, uh, that does, honor, oh, the Honor Code Office. The Honor Code Office. I, I saw one of the brothers that worked in the Honor Code Office at the North Star Conference, and I I recognized him because of a talk that he had given at the beginning of the semester. And I went up to him and I said, hey, I don't know, or you don't know me, but I remember you from this talk you gave, and I just wanted to say thank you for being here. And he looked at me and he said, thank you for being here, and you're awesome, and will you meet with me when we get back to BYU-Idaho? And we can talk about how we can make campus better for LGBT, LGBT students. And so that was a really cool experience. I was able to meet with him one time before COVID kind of shut everything down. And I haven't really been able to talk to him since then. Um, 
but he is kind of, it turned out that the entire honor code office at BYUI was at the North Star Conference learning about the experiences of LGBT people in the church. And they want to help us and want us to feel accepted and loved at campus. And so I get to kind of be a part of that, like initial, like he, he called it like, it's a, the, the church and like BYU Idaho is kind of like a big aircraft carrier ship. And it's going to take a really long time to turn the ship to kind of better understand the LGBT community, especially here in Rexburg being in like a really LDS town and all that kind of stuff. But um, I get to be kind of on the forefront of that in like helping. And there's several other students that are, that we're meeting with him as well um, to kind of talk about these things. So that's kind of been a really cool experience. That's really cool. Um, I w- I've heard through um, a few BYU-Idaho students, a um, couple that are not out, um, that they, are, they have opened up to um, people in the Honor Code office because they knew they were at North Star and wanted to learn more about this space. And the North Star experience was very helpful. And, and so I think that makes me really happy that and that doesn't change it, cause a change in doctrine. We don't have to change doctrine to make BYU-Idaho more welcoming to LGBTQ students. It just seems like that's what we should do as part of our baptism covenants. And I like that the honor code officers and personnel are willing to meet with you. That's certainly what I did um, as a singles ward bishop, is I just met with my LGBTQ members and listened to their stories and was willing to set aside past opinions and past assumptions so that I could better meet their needs. So it's really cool, Lindsay, that you're kind of in the middle of that. And and um, um, maybe that's part of the reason you're at BYU-Idaho. And if there's any um, BYU faculty honor code or other people that are in those similar positions, I thank you for what you're doing and your willingness to um, want to make um, all students feel welcome. Um, because I don't believe we can become the body of Christ that Paul talks about in Corinthians without our LGBTQ members feeling welcome. Um, so that's great. Tell us more about um, any other thoughts on your experience at BYU-Idaho. And I don't know if you want to talk about your Zoom call today that you mentioned before we went live. You don't need to, but if you want to share that experience. Yeah, so I, I've always kind of like... I don't want to say I have gaydar because that's like a really weird term. And I, I think that's kind of weird, but like I always seem to kind of like have a feeling for who might be LGBT. Um, but I was on a Zoom class, like all, most of our classes are on Zoom over the internet right now. And I have a trans flag and a rainbow flag on my wall in my bedroom. And so they were behind me on my camera. And in Zoom, you can like private message someone. There's like a chat feature and you can private message someone or you can message the whole class. And somebody in the class messaged me and was like, hey, I saw the flags on your wall. Are you LGBT? Because I am too. And this person is not really out to very many people, but they just thought it was really cool that I was like kind of more open about it. And we might be meeting up at some point to just kind of discuss what it's like to be LGBT in the gospel. and um. Say I, I like I, I'm not like 
just blatantly open about it. You know, I'm not like waving rainbow flags all over the place and stuff, but if it does come up or if people notice, I, I'm very open about talking about it because I don't want other people to feel alone because I felt alone for so long. So I just want to help other people feel loved and accepted, especially here at BYU-Idaho where there's a very like, you know, the Mormon culture of that's wrong and everything. So. Um, I think that's great. I've recognized, and in my book, I actually talk about the pride flag in a positive way. Often the pride colors, at least for me, I'm nearly 60 years old, um, triggered me and it reminded me of things that were inappropriate, um, from, um, perhaps parades and other activities. But I've recognized that the pride flag has taken on a new meaning that I think is appropriate. And it's the pride of self-respect and it's the pride of being your personal best. It's not compared. Exactly. It's not comparative in nature. It's not mean you're an activist or you're wanting to live teachings outside of our church. You just, you, you have the pride of personal respect. You want to be the very best Lindsay you can be. And owning this part of you is often part of that. And a way to own that is just in an appropriate way to have a rainbow flag or rainbow pin or rainbow tie. Um, And sometimes it's to march in a parade, Mormons building bridges, parades, or other, just to form community and show loyalty to a group of people that walks a harder road. And so I think it also, in addition to that, Lindsay, I think it signals like you did that I'm a safe person. We've done a podcast with a seminary teacher in Utah County, and she has um, Jesus, Rainbow Jesus, a picture by painting by Kirk Richards, a copy in her office. And I asked her why she does that. She says, it's a signal to my students I'm a safe person to talk to. And, that's um, cool. and that's really cool. And she's not, that doesn't mean she doesn't support our doctrine or is an activist. She just wants seminary to be a safe place for all of her students and if someone's lgbtq isn't it cool when they open up to somebody within the church because they're no safe person um just like is happening for you versus there's people obviously outside the church that's safe for them to go to but i think people do better you know latter-day saints that are lgbtq if they can open up to their parents and peers that are in the church and they can feel like there's people within the church that love them. So I'm, I think that's great that you do that. Um, any more thoughts you'd like to share on BYU-Idaho or the flag or just your personal experiences there? Um, yeah, I think, I think you've pretty much covered kind of why I like the flag. I've like, even before I knew that I was queer, I have always loved rainbows. And so like from the time I was a little kid, I just loved rainbows. I think it's like aesthetically pleasing to me to see all the colors in the right order. I don't know, but um, I really like the rainbow flag and the other flags because they have kind of taken on new meaning for a lot of people. And for me, it's just that I have a community, like not that I am in like the worldly LGBT community, um, but just like that I have other people that have the same experiences as me. And if you've ever met anybody that's LGBT, whether they're in the church or not, they're usually very loving and accepting people of you, no matter what you are, you know? So I just, I like that it just gives community. And again, it shows kind of that I'm that safe, 
that safe person. That's really cool. Um, talk about autism. Help if if someone is not aware of somebody that's autistic, will you describe that for us? Um, kind of. It's it's a spectrum, like gender and all that other stuff too. But um, it's basically, I believe it's developmental is what it's called. But it's um, it's also neurological. So it's the way that the brain develops, and it just develops differently, mostly in the social aspect and a lot of times in the sensory input aspect. So for me, the biggest issues that I have with autism right now is that I have a lot of sensory processing difficulties. I experience senses a lot stronger than the typical person. There are a lot of autistic people that experience senses less than the typical person. So, um, but because I experience senses kind of greater, I can, the lights are always seem to be brighter to me. Uh, sensations of touch are like, can be painful to me if they're like the wrong way. Um, there's a lot of foods that I can't eat because the textures just are, I just can't handle the textures of certain foods. Um, and because of the sensory issues that I have, it makes being independent kind of difficult because, um, uh, if I have too many sensory experiences all at once, I can get sensory overload, which just basically means that my brain just kind of shuts down and I just, I can't move. I can't talk. I can't really do much of anything. And so I have worked since I was about 18 to get a service dog because I've always loved dogs and um, I knew the service dog could help me. I wasn't really sure how at the beginning, but um I'm finally able to have my service dog. It's taken me about two and a half years to train him, but he's now at BYU-Idaho with me. His name is Kismet. Uh, he's a standard poodle and he's adorable. But um, he helps me because he is able to, if I start to get overwhelmed, he can guide me to an exit of a building. He can guide me to my car. He can guide me to a bench or a wall where I can sit down and he can do deep pressure therapy, which is he'll put his body weight on top of me. And then that kind of grounds me. It's, it's like a grounding for my brain. It helps my brain get back to reality or stay in reality so that I don't have a complete shutdown. So uh, it's like a really, really quick overview of things. But That's really cool. Um, talk about um, how did you connect that a service dog would help you with autism? Um, so from the time I was really little, I've always really loved dogs. Um, I would train our family dogs and stuff. And, and, uh, uh, since I'm autistic, I have a very hard time socially with people, but for some reason I'm able to understand dogs socially, like better than I can people. I can understand dog body language, but I can't understand people body language. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but, um, I like autism service dogs are still a fairly new thing, especially for adults, um, especially 10 years ago when I was first starting to look into it. There's a lot of like training programs that will train service dogs for autistic children. But because I was technically not a child anymore, I was 18 when I started looking into service dogs, I couldn't get a program trained dog. And so I had to look into training my own dog. Um, and I looked into programs that train PTSD service dogs because a lot of the things that happen with PTSD are similar to the things that happen with autism with 
to the sensory overload and the um, anxiety in crowds and those kind of things. There's similar symptoms. And so the things that dogs do can help in similar ways. And so it took me several years to figure out exactly what a service dog would be able to do for me. But when I did, I looked into programs that would train PTSD dogs. And I was like, hey, I don't have PTSD, but I'm autistic and it'd be the exact same thing. Can you do it? And they told me no, because they can't make an exception for one person. They'd have to make an exception for everyone. So I had to train my own service dog. And that is a very, very lengthy and difficult process. Um, like I said, it took me about 10 years to find, finally find the right dog and be able to train him. Um, I actually just recently started a couple months ago a YouTube channel called Simply Kismet Service Dog Life. And on that channel, I talk about more about um, my kind of service dog journey and how I got my service dog and how to get a service dog and all those kind of things. Because there's kind of, there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah. <laughs> um, that's really cool. Um, I love dogs, by the way. Um, and I've rec- I've, I was thinking because my son just got a dog. And I thought, you know, Heavenly Father could have created the world without dogs and without music. That would have been a bad um, world. <laughs> you know, I mean, what if music didn't exist? It's possible we could still largely function as a society. But I just think Heavenly Father knew that life was going to be hard and he wanted to bring other things into our lives and animals, dogs, and per- dogs, I was going to say in particular, but for other people, it may not be dogs. and music and there's all these sort of things outside of human connection that often bless us tremendously and and i think sometimes we need to follow our impressions on finding those things that help us i think that's the way prayers sometimes get answered is through other people or even through a service dog and what a service dog is doing for you and that's really cool Lindsay. tell our listeners how you're doing emotionally because you've are you okay emotionally? You've kind of been, this is kind of a really hard road, Lindsay. You've um, it's not the traditional sort of storybook life that sometimes um, at age twelve or ten we dream of having. You've got a pretty unique life with some serious sort of curveballs that have come your way that aren't anything that is part of anything you've done. And share with our listeners how you're doing. Uh, Right now, I'm actually in a pretty good place. I feel like I'm in a pretty healthy place right now mentally. Um, Middle school was hard for me and high school was really, really hard for me because I had just been diagnosed as autistic and I couldn't be social and I couldn't make friends. I was severely depressed in high school. Um, It's really only been the past maybe five or six years that I've been able to kind of start coming out of that depression. and especially with my service dog that I have now, Kismet, he's really been a huge help in helping me kind of come out of that because with him, I'm able to be confident and independent in ways that I wasn't able to be when I was in high school. Because when I was in high school, I saw all of my peers graduating and going away to college. And it was so easy for them. And I wanted it to be easy for me, but it wasn't. And now I'm finally here and I finally feel like I'm kind of starting my journey journey and coming into myself and I feel like I'm where I need to be right now. So it's definitely been a very difficult road and I haven't always been 
this really happy person that I am right now. But right now I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. It's really remarkable. What would you go back and say to that younger self of yours right now? And that's kind of like you talking to other people that are younger that uh, um, don't have as much hope as you have. Um, If I could go back and talk to my 18-year-old self, I would probably say, yeah, it's going to be a while before you go to your dream college at BYU-Idaho, but you will be there at the perfect time, the time that you're supposed to be there in Heavenly Father's timing, and it's going to feel like forever, and 10 years does feel like forever, Um, but I am here now, and I was able to get a service dog, even though it was a lot of work. And I probably also tell myself that asexuality is a thing because like I said, I didn't figure that out till I was 23 or so. And so I'd probably be like, Hey, you should look this up because it's actually a thing. And then maybe I wouldn't have felt as broken for as long as I did. And that's kind of why I try to be more open about it is because like, especially in the church, but even outside the church, if you don't have those attractions, you feel kind of broken because, you know, growing up, even in middle school, you know, kids start talking about having crushes and, going out with boys and kissing boys and all this stuff. And I never had that. And because I'm autistic, that was part of it. You know, I thought maybe I was just socially awkward, but then looking back, I was like, no, it's because I also didn't have those attractions. So it's kind of a combination of the two, but I think mostly I just tell myself and tell other young people that are like, have similar experiences is that things will work out. And their Heavenly Father does have a plan for you, and it may take a lot longer than you think it's going to. It may not be the exact road that you think it's going to be, but He has a plan for you, and He knows what's best for you, even if you don't. <laughs> That's a great answer. Would you, sometimes when I meet with people in my home and you're over the phone, we have the talk about this imaginary red button that if they could push it, they would be straight. Would you, or in your case, straight and without autism? I, are there days you, I assume there's days you'd like to push that button because it's a really hard road, but are there other days where you just feel like this is the way God meant for you to be and and he created you this way for a purpose? Share with our listeners how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I've actually thought about that quite a bit. And there have been a lot of days where sometimes I wish that I wasn't asexual just because it would make dating so much easier you know, because guys don't really like it when you're not attracted to them. So it makes dating kind of hard. Good point. But um, <laughs> especially, you know, in the gospel where it's like, oh, we got to have a family. But um, I I don't think that I would, I don't think I would necessarily push the button in the overall sense of it, because I think that my autism and my being queer has, it's a really big part of my personality. And it's something that, especially my um, queerness that I tried to suppress for a really long time. But now that I'm like more comfortable with myself and I've always been kind of open about my autism, but now that I've been able to be more open about my being asexual and everything, I feel more confident and more comfortable with myself. Um, I try to look at it in ways like how do these things help me to be closer to Christ and what, what aspects of being a queer helped me to be like Christ. Like what, because Christ experienced everything that we experienced. And I believe that we all have, and this doctrine, you know, that we all have some kind of trait of Christ inherently in us because we have the light of Christ. And so I try to find 
in the difficulties, I try to find, okay, what in this thing makes me more Christ-like and how can I love those around me? And so I think that if I wasn't queer and if I wasn't autistic, that it, I wouldn't be able to have that experience of having charity for other people that are queer or that are autistic or that have different experiences that don't fit the mold. And so I think that it's definitely been a blessing overall, even though it's been hard in the past. Um, that's really thoughtful answer. And um, I've, I didn't surprise me that you spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, the people that I've met with that are LGBTQ or less, I've had less experience with people that are autistic often spend a fair amount of time seeking personal revelation about this journey. And, and a lot of them get to the point where they just, yeah, it's a harder road and they'd love not to, they'd love to, um, like you said, have attractions to men. Um, as you'd like to marry a man, but they, at some point they just feel at peace. And I think the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is chapter six of my book, often is helpful. Um, I think the atonement can bring us, give us peace with our life circumstances. So there's one part of the atonement that obviously takes sin out of our lives, but this we're not talking about sin in this podcast or anything about your story. But I think the idea that Christ descended below all things and understands the road you're walking, Lindsay, often the enabling part of the atonement, which I think you've been accessing. Um, and sometimes we don't know how to access that, but sometimes it's just praying and moving forward in our life and learning about our situation that the atonement allows us just to be at peace with who we are and look in the mirror and think that this is who I'm meant to be. And, and God loves all of me. And even these parts about me that make my mortal life a harder road to walk. He loves that about me and he's not ashamed of me. And, and somehow the Savior knows all of the things I'm feeling. There's no story of the Savior being autistic, obviously, in the New Testament. But there is doctrine that says he's, he descended below all things so that he understands our individual roads. And I love that doctrine and the peace it gives all of us in mortality. Um, and that kind of puts us all on the same moral footing, that everybody's um, the same beloved child of heavenly parents. So um, we're kind of coming to the end of the podcast. Um, are there other things you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, not really sure. Um, like I said earlier, I don't know. Um, I do have, if someone wanted to learn more about service dogs or about autism i do have a youtube channel um it's called simply kismet service dog life and on there i talk a lot about my autism and i have videos of what it's like to have a service dog or to train a service dog um and I, it's a fairly new channel so i'm always putting new stuff on it um i don't really talk about my lgbt or anything on on that channel but i just kind of want to have like a little service dog education channel kind of what that's mainly for but that's great. Um, and so we'll link, for those of you that are listening, if you'll go to the episode description, we'll put a link um, in the episode description right to Lindsay's YouTube channel. And so you can go there. That sounds really cool. Well, um, that's probably a good place to end, Lindsay. And I'm going to say your last name, 
Andreski, is that right? Andreoski. Andreoski. So, Lindsay, Andreoski, you are a wonderful human being, and our world is a better place with you here. And it's really remarkable when you think about it. You are living away from home in a different state, going to college, um, pursuing education, helping people along the way. As I just listened to you, and this is behalf of our listeners, I just sense a wonderful human being doing the very best they can with hopes and dreams that all of us have. And so um, thank you for being on the podcast and you have a great life ahead of you. And thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Mm -hmm.